gather together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, the Schuster Herald Podcast, it's Superman, the Carousel Podcast, the Armature Steel, a John Henry Allen Podcast. The world's best podcast and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Sam Rizzo, Danny Sapp, Matthew Epps. I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Lois and Lana are knocking on Death's door while Superboy meets Billy Kramer in this episode of Superman in the Bronze Age. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 88 of Superman of the Bronze Age. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we're going to find out whether or not Superman can save Lois and Lana from dying. But first, do you guys like trade paperbacks? Such as, oh, I don't know, uh, The Adventures of Superman by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, Brace be his name? Or possibly The Superman Adventures drawn by Gil Kane? Or... The Dark Knight over Metropolis? Well then, make sure you go over to InStockTrades.com. And if you follow InStockTrades on Twitter, you'll receive notices on deals of the week. Now that the holidays are around the corner, this is a great site to do some holiday shopping, and shipping is free for orders over $50. You can check them out at InStockTrades.com. Now, we've got a couple of emails to go over real quick. First up is an email from Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast. And Billy writes, Charlie, I enjoyed your coverage of the Phantom Zone miniseries from the early 1980s. I've got the first issue, but not the other three. I don't remember if you mentioned it in your coverage, but Quexel first appeared in in a Silver Age story, The Super Revenge of the Phantom Zone Prisoner in Superman 157 from November 1962. In the course of the story, Superman learned that Quexel had been framed for the crime that had gotten him sentenced to 25 years in the Phantom Zone. Once released by the Man of Steel, Quexel plotted to revenge himself on Superman for his time in the Phantom Zone, blaming it on Jor-El. After Superman told him he had been set up on Krypton, Quexel saved Superman from a gold kryptonite trap he had set for the Man of Steel. Almost drowned and suffering amnesia, at the end of the story, Superman arranges for Perry White to give Quexel a job at the Daily Planet's production department. This story has been reprinted in in Showcase Presents Superman, Volume 4. 
Billy. First of all, thank you very much, Billy. Uh, I I think I mentioned that it was he was in Superman 157, but as I haven't read the story and I was kind of in a hurry to put the episodes out, so I didn't actually read it. So thank you very much for giving us a nice little synopsis of the issue. Thank you very much. Also, apparently Billy spells his name with three L's, which is really cool. But yes, make sure you check out his podcast. He goes over the Silver Age Superman comics. Uh, Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, Superman action, including the Supergirl backup. I think he covers some Superboy in there, too. It, it's It's a good show. Make sure you check it out. Uh, and my other email comes from Russell Bragg, and he's his responses to last episode. That would be 87. He writes, Hello! No matter how I worded my last email, I did read Phantom Zone number one first. I don't know how I worded it to make you think I didn't. I apologize. It's alright, I, I, I'm i not that intelligent, so I, I, I read things weird anyway. I don't know. Uh, no, I read that part. It looks like I'm going to be get on my bully pulpit again. Come on, people. Send Charlie an email. He deserves it for all the hard work he gets. He puts into this podcast. Where was I? Oh, yeah. Episode 87 was great. I think I told you on Facebook how much I enjoyed this two-parter, which he did. Both issues are in my vast collection. Listening to the story again made me think. This might have been the only non-imaginary story where either Lois or Lana were that close to death. You can correct me if I'm wrong. No, I can't, actually. Uh, I... Well, in the Bronze Age, yes. I believe this was about as close as they get. Thinking about it off the top of my head, anyway, I would, uh... Other than dying in some imaginary stories, I don't think that they've gotten this close before. So you are correct, sir. As far as I know. I was wondering why the virus only affected Mom Pa Camp, but not Superboy. Doing a little bit of research, there doesn't seem to be a disease or virus that affects adults, but not children. Guess that's comic fiction for you. And remember, this was a Silver Age story that they're pulling from. And, you know, so... That's the kind of stuff that happened. Uh, Earth 2 Clark Kent became editor-in-chief in Superman Family 196 from July 1979, so he was already editor by the time of Superman number 362. I stand corrected. Thank you, Russell. I absolutely love Superman The Secret Years. I always wondered why that series never came out in paperback. They could always add those Superman The In-Between Years back up uh, to increase the page count. Maybe it wasn't popular enough. I don't know. Better go for now. Hope Lois and Lana make it. Russell. Well, thanks, Russell. I don't know why it hasn't been collected either. The only thing I can guess is it's Bronze Age material. Shortly after it came out in single-issue format, they rebooted the whole Superman line, taking away the whole Superboy story. So they weren't going to do it then. And then it just... They haven't gotten to it, I guess. Uh, they're, they're getting better, but they haven't collected a lot of Bronze Age stuff yet. So until they do more, maybe maybe they'll get it in the future, but for now, I just don't see them doing it for a while. I, I don't know that it was a big deal at the time. I don't know other than the fact that it had Frank Miller doing the covers, and it's not considered a big deal now. Unfortunately, so I don't know. There's there's a whole lot of stuff that's more apt to get collected than the secret years. But that's it for the email. So what I'm going to do real quick is play a couple of promos. And when I come back, we'll look at this 
episode's issue. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Do you enjoy time travel in general and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast. My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape. The Vietnam War, a conflict that changed America. Of those who served, many came back irrevocably changed, while many did not come back at all. This is their story. Marvel Comics presents The Nom. Join me, Tom Panneries, for In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics series The Nom. Each episode, I will recap and review one issue of the series, as well as provide historical context that's important to understanding the events behind the story. Along the way, I will also take a look at the movies, music, and literature surrounding the Vietnam War. New episodes are posted every two weeks at incountry.podomatic.com. You can find show notes and other media at popcultureaffidavit.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Superman 363 had a cover date of September 1981 and an on-sale date of June 4, 1981, with a cover price of 50 cents. The title of the story is The Dying Day of Lois and Lana, written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Frank Sciaramonte, lettered by Todd Klein, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Julie Schwartz, and Superman was created by Jerry Siegel, and Joe Schuster. We begin this issue back at the Metropolis Museum, where Lana and Clark interview Professor Lewis Lang about his latest archaeological find, the all the stuff he found last issue. Clark is doing his best to keep his composure and then reminds us why when he brings up when he brings us up to speed on everything that happened last issue. And while he's been able to fool everyone else, Lana is still able to notice that Clark's mind has been drifting the whole time, and invites him to join her and her father for dinner. But Clark declines, and before the Langs leave the museum, Clark has already changed to Superman and taken to the skies. A super speed flight later, and he's at his fortress, kicking himself for not thinking of the Phantom Zone earlier. He can send Lois and Lana there, and they'd be safe until he could come up with a cure. But this time, unlike when he, unlike when he was going to try it with... Mom, Pa, there's no sunspot activity to interfere with the projector. 
But, while Superman's making the proper adjustments, he's suddenly jolted by some explosive feedback from the projector, which sends him flying across the room and into a wall. At this point, General Zod, Feora, and Jack Sir appear in phantom form to explain that a vast number of the criminals in the zone concentrated their willpower on, on the projector's power plant. While Superman will be able to repair it, it would take at least three Earth days, well beyond the amount of time Lois and Lana have left. Frustrated and shouting, No! Superman smashes his way out of the fortress at super speed. 27 minutes later, in Metropolis, Clark catches up to Lana and her father as they leave the restaurant. Clark asks her to go somewhere with just him, and they spend the evening just enjoying each other's company, to the point that Lana finds herself falling for the mild-mannered reporter. In fact, after they get back to her apartment, they're about to kiss when one of Lana's neighbors interrupts to get Lana's help with her cat. Clark takes this opportunity to leave, changing to Superman and flying off, while he thinks about how he now realizes that he still cares very deeply for Lana, just as she's about to die. At the state penitentiary, two of the criminals are using a device built by Lex Luthor to envelop themselves in this energy bubble that allows them to pass through the prison wall. But before they can get too far, a blast of super breath blasts them up into the air, and then causes them to spin around until the bubble disappears and the men fall to the ground, very dizzy. Later, inside Luthor's triple security cell, Superman has Luthor look at a sample of the virus through a micro-viewer, and asks for his help in finding a cure. While Lex calculates a 90% chance that he could find the cure in time, he declines to help Superman. Then, to taunt the Man of Steel, he tosses the sample across the room. Superman catches it, but Luther reminds him that if, he, if it wasn't for his code against killing, Luther would now be forced to come up with a cure in order to save himself. But instead, he's doomed both of the women. Later on, Superman checks in on Lois, who's watching a romantic late-night movie that takes place in Paris in the 1890s, which prompts her to tell him about how romantic it must have been back then in Paris. That's a bad sentence, but I'm going to leave it anyway. So to allow her to find out, Superman takes her back in time to Paris in the 1890s and gives her an airborne tour of the city. Flashing forward to 10.30 the next morning in the present, or 1981, however you want to look at it. Superman takes Lois and Lana up to the fortress so that they can basically die in peace. As they finally start to feel the effects of the virus, Superman realizes that while he can't change the past, he might be able to find a cure in the future. So he quickly zooms to the latter 88th century, where he's led to the Grand Council Chamber in the floating city orbiting Earth. While a cure had been found at some point in the intervening years, they refused to give it to Superman because it could affect their history, as well as cause a major time paradox, which is all wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff that means bad news. Frustrated again, Superman heads back to 1981, but he finally realizes that there's one major difference between this time and the time that Ma and Pa were affected. Have you figured it out yet? Don't worry, I hadn't either. See, since he was an adult this time, the virus did affect Superman, but his superimmune system came up with antibodies to counteract it. Therefore, this entire time, he's had the antidote to the virus in his system. So this time, when Superman gives Lois and Lana a blood transfusion, it works, curing both of them. And back in the future, the Council wonder if Superman will ever forgive them for not letting him know that he was destined to find the cure soon after leaving them. 
And that's the end of the story. Isn't that lovely? But here's a couple more promos to keep you busy while I get my notes together, and I'll see you on the other side. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Well then, uh, Scott, can you do me a favor? What's that? I've got an episode coming. Let's see. It's called Magnus Remembers uh, Superman Returns, so uh, don't listen to that episode. It, this is all kind of, it's all part of my Superman Begins like miniseries that, I, that I'm uh, going through, or was going through. This is all part of the uh, lead up to Man of Steel coming out on Blu-ray, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I've got two little interludes. Uh, the first... Lucy, shut the f*** up! <laughs> Sorry about that, it's the dog. <laughs> Brendan's Magnus Punches Reality at TwoTrueFreaks.com Discussion about comics, movies, and TV shows. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality every Tuesday at TwoTrueFreaks.com No animals were harmed in the making of this promo. Play it. Come on. Play it loud. Play it loud. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Illogic. Foolish emotions. A constant irritant. And transpire out. Two. On the circus. Right next to the dog-faced boy. True! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, shit. It's a super prize package worth $9,388. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Ow! Go and now, together by live simulation via the internet, your hosts, Scott Gardner. He killed a police officer for Christ's sake. Yeah, goddamn lucky he didn't kill him. And Chris Honeywell. Keep away! Keep away from me! You are physically repulsive, intellectually retarded, vulgar, insensitive, selfish, stupid. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. So you're looking at me? Yeah, because she thought you're some kind of freak. Now come on, let's go. She likes me, eh? No way. Shut up, you freak! Surely you're a shoe. I say shut up! It's a man We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. I've only got a few notes, because this was actually a pretty interesting, a pretty fun story. I like on page three and four, when we're doing getting a little bit of the flashback, Kurt Swan actually draws Clark and Superman in in this flashback sequence but there he's getting younger progressively and swan does a really good job of showing the younger ages we have current clark 
Clark, who I'm guessing would have to be college age, and then late teenage Clark, and then early teenage Clark, maybe? I don't know, but all of them look a little different, a little younger as it goes back, and then when it comes back to the present, they all look older again until we get to the present again. It's, it's really cool. It's a nice little effect. I really like it, even though the hair stays the same. Uh, let's see. Page seven. Once again, we get that frustrated Superman again. He's shouting no, crashes right through the fortress wall without using the door. I'm wondering if it took 27 minutes because he went back and fixed it, or if it's taking 27 minutes because he's trying to make sure Lana has some time to have one final meal with her father. Uh, page eight. This was kind of cool. It looks like Metropolis might have a revolving restaurant that Lois, uh, that Lana and Clark are hanging out at. I don't remember ever seeing a place like this drawn in the comics before, but this is definitely a restaurant very high above several buildings. I don't know that it rotates, but it's definitely one of the, looks like a ritzy, highfalutin, scenic, touristy type of restaurant. The windows cover the sides and the, and the ceiling so that you can really get a good view of the city. Also, this is interesting that Lana starts falling for Clark after just one meal. It's kind of weird. Hmm. Uh, this does kind of... I don't know that it really has much of an effect in the future, but I do know that Lois or that Lana and Clark do date later on. So maybe this is the start of that. Uh, page 9, though, this is the weird thing. Okay, they just about kissed. And then Superman takes off, and he says, Faith can be so unjust. Ever since I openly pledged my love for Lois, I thought I had written off any deep feelings I had, for, I had held for Lana. Yet tonight, I finally realized how important she has been to my life, ever since we were toddlers together in Smallville, and how very much I still care for her, as much as I cherished the sister I'd never had. Okay, now before I keep going, the sister, he's, he's about to make out with a girl that's like the sister he's never had. Ugh. Between this and the time that he talked about possibly marrying Supergirl, I get a weird feeling about what the families were like in Krypton. It's a little weird. Anyway... Uh, page 11. I love this scene with Luther. Luther looks at the virus, thinks he could come up with a cure, which we don't know is true or not, because you know he's going to say whatever he can't wants to get out of there, or and show off for Superman. But then he taunts him by throwing the cure across the room, and Superman's got to fly at super speed to catch it. Basically, and he's now he's doomed the girls, because Luther isn't, doesn't have any reason to help him. It's cold Luther, taunting Luther. This is a cool version of Luther right here. Uh, page 12. This, wa this was a loophole problem I have. Um, they're going to the past. Going through the time stream. You have to travel at super speed. Beyond the speed of light, I believe, in order to do this. But Lois is not wrapped up in Superman's cape. In fact, they're standing there making out at the time. Which, first of all, is just kind of weird since he was about to make out with Lana anyway. But 
he's just twirling and stuff. She doesn't even notice this, first of all. But, yeah, they, uh... Mm, by the time they get back to that time in Paris, Lois should be, like, ash. Really. Also, the fact that... Now, maybe this plays into the Earth turning and everything, but they start off in Lois's apartment. They're basically staying in one spot, traveling back to the past, and suddenly they're in Paris in, 18, in the 1890s. No. No. That probably is wrong. Uh, let's see. Uh, page 14. Still, Superman does not tell Lois and Lana about the whole fact that they're going to die. They're going up to the fortress, and they have no reason why. In fact, they're sitting here talking to each other, asking why they had to come up there. And then as they start shivering, he just kind of disappears. Now, we do get this really cool super rescue, which I kind of glossed over. It's page 14. So this is the Earth in the later 88th century. There's a floating city above the planet, and they do their typical uh, pollution problem. They've used all of Earth's resources. And although Superman just saved the floating city from a meteor, uh, they say that they're not upset about that because they were going to uh, mine the meteor for rare ores to have more energy. So once again, we have a story where Superman goes to the future, saves the day, and it turns out that is not was not a good idea. On the plus side, this was a pretty cool-looking image of him saving the day. Let's see. Movie. Okay. Now, the other problem I have. Page 17. Now, if Superman gives them a super blood transfusion, they should pretty much have superpowers for a while, right? I mean, maybe it's just me, but if you've got super blood going through you, I mean, it, I know it happened in the Golden Age. It might run out eventually, I don't know, but that superhuman Kryptonian blood in their system, one, well, I guess it could work. But, yeah, I can't imagine this is a good thing for either. Well, actually, this is probably a great thing for both of them, not for Superman, because now he's got to deal with a Super Lois and a Super Lana again. But they kind of gloss over that and pretend that doesn't happen. The backup feature, which I'm not going to cover, is a it's an imaginary backup. In fact, it says just imagine. And this is a night in the life of Bruce Superman Wayne. Now, like I said, it's an imaginary story. This was a series of imaginary stories. I don't know. There was like only like three or four parts, I believe. Uh, basically, this, the idea for your background is that the rocket left Krypton like usual. But instead of landing in Smallville, it lands in Gotham and is found by police officer James Gordon, and the baby is taken to the home of Dr. and Mrs. Thomas Wayne. And he learns about his powers, and when he turns 21, he becomes Superman. But he's Bruce Wayne. Now, in this story, Barbara Gordon and Bruce Wayne get married, and it turns out Jim Gordon gets shot and killed, Superman tries to go back to the past to stop the murder, but that doesn't work because you can't change the past. Uh, but he sees who's done it. So Bat or so Barbara turn, becomes Batwoman for the first time, and basically her Bat 
girl costume. She ends up going after the guy that killed her father, and he, and similar to when Bruce Wayne in re, well in real life, uh, when the real Bruce Wayne went after Lou Moxon, and Moxon got all upset, and then he ended up getting killed or ran out in traffic and got hit by a truck. Basically, the same thing happens here. The guy that killed Gordon runs out into the street and gets killed. And that's it. That's the story. It's it's short, it's sweet, it's the last one they did. I guess I did cover it. Sorry about that. Okay, so um, we're going to be right back. Uh, here's a couple of promos, and then we'll look at what other issues came out this month. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen. And I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more supermanhomepage.com we now return to superman and the bronze age all right other issues coming out this month from dc comics action comics number 523 uh something to do with steve lombard's double life looks like um there's some monster, and it's Steve Lombard's brother? Hmm. Don't know about that one. I've never read that one. I'll have to go back. All-Star Squadron number one came out this month. Always cool. Uh, and for more on that, make sure you check out Tales of the Justice Society of America over at Two True Freaks. While they haven't had a new episode in a little while because of busy schedules, they have had plenty of previous episodes. And starting with the All-Star Comics revival in the late 70s and going well into the All-Star Squadron run. So make sure you check that out. And that's hosted, of course, by Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey. Batman, number 339. Poison Ivy Returns. And Robin Looks Back on Yesterday's Heroes. Rich Buckler, by the way, covered a lot of the comics this month. A lot of them. Next up, we have Superman. Well, basically, it's the Superman Digest. Best of DC Digest number 16. Seven Milestone Superman Anniversary Stories. Why? Because this is 1981, so he's 40, 43 years old. What? Huh? 
Anyway, uh, basically these are pretty much all Silver Age stories. Uh, the Origin of Superman, The Super Key to Fort Superman, The War Between Superman and Jimmy Olsen, The Conquest of Superman, The Trial of Superman, uh, The Superman-Batman Split, and just to say they covered the Silver Age, or the Bronze Age 2, Make Way for Captain Thunder. It's got a pretty cool cover by Rich Buckler and Dick Giordano. Uh, Superman's in front of this cool cake with a bunch of candles. Lois is there. Jimmy's there. Perry White is there. There's also Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. Uh, Captain Thunder. Supergirl and Lex Luthor. So, it's, it is a really cool cover. There's no background to it. That's the only problem I see. Uh, Brave and the Bold number 178 has Batman teaming up with... The Creeper. And again, that's a Rich Buckler cover. He is all over the place. Fortunately, Jim Aparo is the artist of the story, so it's not too bad. Uh, let's see. Super, uh, DC Comics presents number 37, uh, Superman teaming up with Hawk Girl in a story by Jim Starlin and Roy Thomas. And a, ah, and a Jim Starlin cover, so that's really cool. Uh, let's see, moving right along, we've got the Strange Sports Stories from Blue Ribbon Digest Special, number 13. And this is basically a bunch of comics involving sports. Uh, there is one, The Great Superstar Game, which I'm guessing is the one with all of the superheroes versus supervillains, and then Strange Sports, which is just Strange Sports Stories. The cover looks really cool. Again, it's Rich Buckler. But basically, you've got the uh, several members of the Justice League. You've got, looks like Black Canary, Plastic Man, Kid Flash, Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, Green Arrow, and I'm thinking this is Robin. It's hard, kind of hard to tell. You just see, like, his shoulder. Up against Felix Faust, Lex Luthor, Jimmy... Jimmy Olsen, Joker, Kronos, Weather Wizard, and I cannot tell who the final one is. Maybe Matter Master, since that's the only name that seems to fit. With, it looks like the umpire is going to be Uncle Sam. So, yeah. But yes, that is a, that is a superhero story. All the rest are literally just from reprints from strange sports stories. Issue number 506 of Detective Comics, Batman's up against the Mannequin, who appears to be a, well, mannequin. And there's a Batgirl backup story in that one. Flash, number 301, and the beat goes off. Uh, Flash has to deal with a human atom bomb. Interesting. And Firestorm goes up against the hyena. Green Lantern, number 144. Adam Strange goes in for the final battle, and Green Lantern goes to the last picture show. But it's got a cool George Perez cover. Very nice and detailed. So Rich Buckler wasn't everywhere, especially since Carmine Infantino also took care of the Flash one. So uh, let's see. Justice League of America, number 194. Destiny is a stacked deck. And it's got the Justice League versus, let's say who's against, Professor Amos Fortune, for whatever that means. That's George Perez, though, so check that out. Krypton Chronicles, 
Uh, number one, Search for Superman's Roots came out this month. I haven't read that one yet. I'll have to check that out sometime soon. Legion of Superheroes, number 279. Castle Grimbor Must Fall. Features a beautiful cover by George Perez. And it looks like that the uh, Legion unmasks Reflecto. And it looks like he's dying and they have to save his life, but they don't know how. And don't dare peek at our uh, ultra-special last-page guest star in this issue. I am not going to say who it is. You want to know why? Because I don't know. Uh, New Adventures of Superboy number 21. It, uh, it's the day Superboy sold out, going against some kind of a phantom creature. And the backup story is the conclusion to what happens when a young Superboy gets stuck on a planet with a red sun. And how he gets away. New Teen Titans number 11, When Titans Clash. It looks like we've got Wonder Girl going up against one of the actual Greek Titans. Or Roman, depending on how you look at it. Uh, Starfire also goes up against them while you get Robin, Cyborg, and Kid Flash with their heads floating in the air. Shocked at what they're seeing. Superman Family number 210. Rich Buckler comes back to do the covers. Supergirl is the spoiled sport of New York. Superman, uh, the Earth 2 Superman and Lois go, uh, are the magical manhunters of Metropolis. Superman or Clark Kent uh, finds out about news before it happens. Lois Lane, the case of the kidnapped canines. Sounds awesome. And Jimmy Olsen deals with vengeance, vengeance times four. Wonder Woman, number 283, with a beautiful cover by George Perez again. Yes, George Perez did work on at least the covers to Wonder Woman before he took over the book, post-crisis. And looks like she's uh, Wonder Woman's going to take on the Red Dragon. And in the backup feature, it's the final battle between the Huntress and the Joker, and behind them, in the shadows, is Batman. And finally, another George Perez cover. World's Finest, number 271. The Secret Origins of the Superman-Batman Team. And this is not reprints. This is yet another origin of Superman and Batman working together for the first time. How many times have they done this story? I don't know. But not only are they both in this story, but it also features the Superman and Robin of Earth 2. But it's got a beautiful cover by George Perez. It's got, looks like it reprints a couple of their adventures in other books. Uh, looks like a world's finest story that had the origin of the Superman-Batman team. Who would have thought? Uh, another issue of World's Finest possibly this, uh, another origin story. The issue of Superman from way back when, when Superman and Batman teamed up together for the first time, and an issue of Adventure Comics that had them together. Oh, that tells the origin of the Superman-Batman team. That's all reprinted on the back part of the cover in blue and white, and then bursting out from the center of it are Superman, Batman, and Robin, Beautifully drawn by George Perez coming at you. It's awesome. 
Plus, you could see the film Superman 2. But that's going to do it for my part of the show. So, coming up next, J. David Wheeler looks at the second issue of Superman, The Secret Years. The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who, even as an infant, demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who, as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Hello, welcome to another installment of Superboy in the Bronze Age with me, J. David Weeder. This time around, we continue our final trek with Superboy as he navigates through the perils of college and becoming a man. A Superman? Once again, we are looking at Superman the Secret Years. This time, it is issue 2, the March 1985 issue. For those keeping track, just a little side note, yes, the crisis is about one month from beginning. Crisis number one, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths to be more accurate, number one, comes out in April 1985, which means we see the beginning of the pre-crisis Superman's career as it is about to end. But for one of the last installments of what we've done here looking at Superboy in the Bronze Age, it is appropriate to see the end of Superboy, and then 2014 will bring something new to this spot. I'm going to announce that, but after our story. Our story, which is entitled Reach Out and Touch, written by Bob Rosakis, with art by Kurt Swan and Schaffenberger. So it's two Kurtz for the price of one, but only one C and one K. That's the deal that's on the table, folks. Letters and colors are by John Costanza and Thomas Zioko, respectively, and... Wait, Zioko? Wasn't that the guy that killed Dick Grayson's parents? No, Zuko, Zuko, different dude. Anyway, the cover is by Frank Miller. And I'm going to do the breakdown and then talk about the issue, since it's easier to do the synopsis and notes format for a full-length issue. But the breakdown goes thusly. Creepy Smallville stalker dude Billy Kramer decides to fill the void left by drunk driver extraordinaire Ducky by becoming Clark's new roommate, much to his other sweetmate's chagrin. Meanwhile, Superboy investigates the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle, where ships and planes have gone missing for decades. You know, Bermuda Triangle. Lex Luthor gets tried for his crimes and is sentenced to 10 years in prison, but we all know we won't see the last of him. The jock that Clark embarrassed, remember Steve? Good old Steve? But the jock he embarrassed last issue decides to get his comeuppance and turns Clark's and Billy's science experiment into a stink bomb. It's okay. Clark uses his super breath to blow it back at the bully, so he also puts it on a package that the bully gets, so double up. A major power outage at the Metropolis University campus sends Superboy into repair mode and allows him cover to slip away from his dorm mates in the dark. But Clark meets the wheelchair-bound Lori Lamaris, whom he saves from a one-away... One-away? I'm gonna leave that in. A runaway wheelchair. Yes, that should sound familiar. Clark continues to have nightmares, this time of Ducky and his for you know, his former roommate who was in the car wreck. Remember him? Mr. PSA himself? Uh, but it's Ducky being dragged into the ground at waist level by his parents, Joel and Lara. Clark begins dating Laura Lamaris and notes that she seems intuitive. Almost like she's reading his mind. Can you read my mind? Yes. Oh, oh. Anyway, a chance search for a fraternity ring inspires Clark when it's found inside a hidden jacket pocket, so he flies back to the Bermuda Triangle. There he finds a rip in space and time and enters it to find a desert island full of castaways. No, no, Gilligan and the Skipper are nowhere to be seen, but we are still waiting word on Professor and Marianne. Superboy is actually stunned to find that the castaways don't want to leave their paradise. They're happy there. They wish Superboy to keep their location a secret. Superboy honors their wishes and returns to the real world where, deciding that he needs a confidant, Clark reveals his secret identity to Billy and the issue wraps with Clark taking Billy for a flight. No, no, no. 
Billy's not saying, can you read my mind? I'm not making that joke again. Let's take a look at this book. Starting with the cover by Frank Miller, just a quick note. The image has Superman with handfuls of guns. He's crushing them in front of a brick wall. And the wall, for some reason, grabs my attention more than Superman. I don't know what that says about me, but it is what it is. It's not even that the image of Superman is a bad image, but I find myself staring at that wall. That is a nice brick wall. And I also keep staring at the random carton of milk. What is the story happening here? Is that Superman's milk? Oh, was this a photo shoot for a, like a Got Milk ad that went wrong? We may never know. The story itself is an odd one, but I ended up liking it. Uh, it's all over the place. Billy Kramer's sort of there. He doesn't serve a lot of purpose other than to be at certain locations. Uh, but he also makes the reader suspicious, which is not good for an issue that ends with Superboy revealing his secret to this guy. Everybody should be feeling a little uncomfortable, but it doesn't play out the way you think it will. Lex is in and out of the story quickly without much to discuss. Uh, the bully Steve pretty much could have been called Steve Lombard. There's nothing much there that we haven't seen. Superboy's repairs of the campus are pretty par for the course. They're nothing more than filler. The two big pieces, and one that's going to play out more next issue, but the two big pieces are the Bermuda Triangle and Laurie Lamaris. As stated in the breakdown, the events with Laurie Lamaris should sound familiar. As they played out once before, and they're playing out fairly closely again, alongside her debut story in Superman Volume 1, Issue 129, a story that would also be mined by John Byrne down the road. The Wayne Boring Bill Finger story introduced her as a lost love of Superman's life, with a secret of her own that we will see next time. I was really happy that this was thrown into the mix, uh, making this have a more canonical feel, rather than just random stories based on a theme. It gives context for the original story as well, which I like, because I'm anal retentive, hyphenated, and I would have been offended if Laurie's story had been ignored. Offended, I tell you. And I mean that, in all genuine honesty, if this story had not referenced that, I would have been ticked. There's already one college-age Superboy story that it doesn't reference, and it's one of my favorite stories, but I kind of give it a pass, because I like it in its original context better. Then we have the main plot, Superboy investigating the Bermuda Triangle and his nightmares continuing, and these two are interrelated. This is a young man who is haunted by failure. Now, this is both potential failure and actual failure, perceived failure. He feels that he failed Ducky, he failed his parents, he could fail the world. He's unsure about his role in this bigger playing field. Now, at first, the Bermuda Triangle being in this story seemed goofy. I kind of rolled my eyes, but by the end, it made a ton of sense. It was great, a great idea, and here's why. The Bermuda Triangle is a real mystery, so the public's aware of this. There's a perception of it. And it's a mystery that we still struggle with because planes and boats have gone missing there. And it's a mystery with no real answer. It's an impossible question. If somebody on the scale of Superman needs to have a cipher to display this inner conflict for the reader to display it for us to understand and process it, what better way than an impossible mystery? Because you don't just have Superman, say, looking at a, a dice game and, and realizing where he's at and finding his place in the world. This is something a normal man could and will probably never solve. So it, it ended up making sense and it made the story much richer for it. Now, all in all, this issue was a chocolate eclair. It's pretty to look at. There's a lot of extra frosting, but the center is awesome and it's satisfying. Which brings me to the end of another segment with two more Superboy spots to go. And what will 2014 bring? What's the big secret I've been hiding? It's not really a secret, just showmanship. You wait for the moment to, to put it out on the table. Well, when Charlie and I went to Metropolis, Illinois this past summer, we had a lot of time to discuss as we had a six-hour car ride. We threw a lot of ideas on the table for the show, a lot of different things to explore, and Charlie opened up the door to do other things with this spot. 
And we went through a lot of ideas, throwing them on the wall to see what would stuck. The one that Charlie and I decided would make the most sense was to cover the stories within the team-up comic DC Comics Presents. This is a comic that teams Superman with another DC hero pretty much every issue. By that I mean some superheroes would stick around for two issues, so on and so forth. So not only do we get Superman, but we also get a look at the wider DC universe in one fell swoop. So I've cherry-picked some great Superman team-up tales for us to look at in 2014. I'm really excited about them. I think you're really going to enjoy this. But before all of that, we still have two more installments in Superman The Secret Years. Uh, next time, we find out Laurie's secret. If you don't know it, it's a doozy. If you know it, it's still fun. Come on, it's Laurie Lamaris. Until next time, I am J. David Weeder. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, Dave. And that's going to do it for this episode. Now, make sure you check out the next couple of episodes of Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box. He invited me on to the show to join. <clears throat> he invited me on to talk about a cool book from the 80s, which is actually my very first Superman comic, Superman from the 30s to the 80s. And it's such a huge book. It took two episodes to cover it. And it also prompted a, a crossover of sorts. See, the last two issues of that book are the two-part story collectively known as The Miraculous Return of Jonathan Kent. So, I've, I've been wanting to cover that on this show anyway. So, we talk about everything in Superman 30s to the 80s except for that those last two issues on his show. And then he's going to come over here for two episodes to help me talk about The Miraculous Return of Jonathan Kent. So, come back in two weeks for the first part of that. And I'll see you then. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Show notes can be found at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com, as well as links to the RSS and iTunes feeds and more. You can also find the show on Stitcher Smart Radio, as well as Facebook, where you can get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of both the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com and the Comics Podcast Network at www.comicspodcasts.com. Please make sure to check out both sites for more great podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you so much for listening and God bless. show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones, on demand, and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Radio.